week's Pilot TV podcast. This week, we are enlisting with Ethan Hawke and his group of abolitionist soldiers in the Bloomhouse adaptation, The Good Lord Bird, traveling to Italy for Luca Guadagnino's TV debut, We Are Who We Are, and joining Steve McQueen's ecstatic, dramatic, joy-soaked all-night dance party in Lover's Rock. I'm Terry White, and it's all change in the Pilot TV ranks this week. It's our regular host, our commander-in-chief, Mr. James Dyer, is on an actual holiday. But I'm joined by two fine, fine men, two great troops, um, not explaining in sight, I think, what a world we're about to encounter. First, the third edge of our regular triangle. Mr. Boyd Hilton. Hi, Boyd. Hello. Hi. By my reckoning, you mm-hmm. have never, ever, no. ever missed a pilot TV podcast. No, I haven't. Some, someone pointed that out on uh, Twitter <laughs> this week, quite rightly, and it's true. Yeah, I have actually, I think in the early, I think I've actually done a couple from holiday. Um, I did <laughs> wow. one. I think I'm, I pretty much I did, think I did one from Spain um, at one yeah. point. That such is, as I said, my devotion to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, or, or my tragic. Um, it's a bit like um, I don't like it when people have to sit in for me. You know, I, I feel like that's going to reflect badly on me. They're going to do a better job, and so it's partly that. And I will never miss one ever, probably. It's, enti- it's entirely that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's entirely, entirely that. It's, it's that. entirely <laughs> that. You're going to get someone much better on, and you're going to get rid of me. And yeah, that's 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 the that's the issue. Never. Fact, you've got never, someone much better on than James this week, haven't we? So you know, there we go. Think, you know, if we were to ever replace you, who could that possibly be? Well, the third part of our triangle, or second part of the second triangle, is I don't know what's going on with the triangles. Is not a new recruit because he's been a troop for a while. Um, the man who has just been made contributing editor of Empire, a new columnist at Empire. I'm talking about Mr. Amon Warman. Hello, hello. I like that we're just ex- just exchanging one bold guy for another. You know, we're, keeping, <laughs> we're keeping the bold guy count at two. I expect yep. that. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah of Can you imagine if James was replaced by somebody with hair? Just wow. That would be the ultimate diss. <laughs> ultimate diss. We should replace him with somebody with hair who can play the guitar really well. <laughs> All of his nightmares come true. So, how are you? What have you been up to since you were last on? A whole bunch has happened. Uh, as you mentioned, um, yeah, I got made contributing editor at Empire and a new columnist at Empire. That's very, very exciting. And hmm. uh, yeah, I've been in sort of enjoying working on that month to month and I'm excited for uh, the future, especially on column wise on that. I got a few ideas uh, that are, I think, pretty exciting. So yeah. Hmm. Well, and you've also been doing something that I've been doing. I, I found this out on one of our late night Twitter exchanges. All of the board, <laughs> this is no DMs, people. This is out in the open. I was mid um, West Wing binge. And it turns out you've also just started watching the West Wing, right? I have. I have. It's really, really good. And, you know, we're, we're, at, we're at a time, especially in world leadership, where mm. decency has never had more currency than it does right now. And to see that in the West Wing, episode to episode, 
it's just warms the heart. It's it's hard to sort of <laughs> put it to words almost. Yeah. It's just, it just warms the heart. And because like there's at least a couple moments in each West Wing episode where I think, what would the Trump administration version of this look like? And every time it's nothing good. But just seeing people trying to be decent, trying to do the right thing, trying to help out their fellow man is really powerful, especially in today's world, as I say. And, you know, just for instance, you know, we're talking about people in government right now who do not care about anyone but themselves. Not on the flip side, you watch an episode with Jed Bartlett and some soldiers who he doesn't know personally has have just died, mm. um, you know, or, or have, have been ambushed, have just died. And the way this guy feels that, he feels it so deeply that he has to step out of the office for a second. Just seeing that is really, really powerful in today's world. And then you know, that's not to mention the the great writing, the the amazing acting, the way you really sort of you, you've latched on to these characters. I think I'm on that season three now, and I'm fully, you know, if you say a bad word about CJ, I will personally come and visit you and have a thing to say to you. So you know, it's just watching watch, watching that show, especially with everything that's been going on in the past few weeks. Really, has been really really good and yeah i i i'm annoyed at myself for, for not having watched it sooner but i'm glad that i picked it up when i have why didn't you i'm always yeah. intrigued right why why didn't you watch I it don't, I, I don't know why i have no good reason <laughs> i just didn't um and the, what and was yeah. the spur for you to start watching it was it terry did that inspire <laughs> it, you or, or is it, it coincidence because there's loads of people suddenly watching it I guess yeah. it's the, it's the, it's the arrival on all four, maybe. I don't know. That that definitely helped. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm part of uh, a WhatsApp group with a few nerds, uh, including Helen O'Hara, uh, who obviously swears by the West Wing, and yeah. she she convinced a bunch of the people in our group to watch the West Wing, and then they were like guilting me into like, one, why have you? Why haven't you watch it? Why aren't you? Why aren't you watching it?" That was. A, a powerful motivator as well um and yeah around the same time i saw that you you were watching it as well terry uh and mm. I, think I, I think i tweeted you sort of a few weeks ago about it but but yeah i'm just i'd say I'm, I'm glad i picked it up when i did um because especially in the last couple of weeks with the u.s politics i needed something good in that realm and the west wing definitely delivered on that yeah it's been um it's been a proper proper delight to you know when when the world's been increasingly awful whenever trump does something increasingly awful or or something a bit close to home obviously it's been a big week in politics in the uk this week with lee kane the director of communications for boris johnson resigning and now the word that dominic Cummins is going to be out <laughs> by christmas merry christmas everybody <laughs> merry christmas. Um, yeah it's it's weird because i turn into um i now tune into the west wing when i need my spirits lifting and a sense that there is still hope and goodness um, in the world. I have to watch that, you know, 20-year-old or however many-year-old uh, <laughs> political TV drama to be able to feel just a smidgen of that hope. <laughs> well, that takes us to um, what have we been watching this week. So what else? Um, I'm on that start with you. What else have you been watching this week? The other big thing, when I'm not watching The West Wing, if I'm watching TV, I'm watching The Mandalorian. Um, oh. which, which has been, has been really good. I watched, uh, this week's episode this morning. It's the best episode of the season so far, in my opinion. Somebody um, on the Empire team said it's one of the best episodes. It's episode three. It's yeah. one of the best episodes of the Mandalorian 
full stop across both yep. season. Would you agree? Abs- absolutely, one hundred percent. It's awesome. I just you know, especially that that show coming when it has is also great because, at least for me, the Star Wars films, especially the final Star Wars film was not good. I did not enjoy that film. Anytime I think of that film, honestly, the first thing I think about is Kelly Marie Tran and the way she was treated and that just sets me up on a whole nother thing. But that's for a different mm-hmm. podcast. Um yeah, the the Mandalorian is really, really fun. And I I get the criticisms which some people have in that not every episode moves the plot forward in a big way, although this episode does. Um but I just like being in that world and being with those characters. I love Ludwig Göransson's theme and the variations he puts on the theme from episode to episode are really, really great. Um, I, I can't wait to that score just drops in its entirety online so I can just listen to it on its lonesome because I absolutely love it. And yeah, it's it feels very, very Star Wars while also doing its own thing. Um, and as someone who's a fan of the Clone Wars, the animated series, mm. th- this latest episode has sort of ties to that, which are really, really exciting. So if you're a fan of that, I think there's added enjoyment you're going to discover with episode three. It's really, really great. Have you been keeping up with The Mandalorian, Boy I uh, haven't up until this week. I haven't had time um, uh, this morning to watch it uh, as I was finishing. I was writing a, 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 a long piece all morning. So I, I'm, I love the first two. I absolutely love the first two. And so the fact that the third one is going to be, is, is potentially even better is, is fantastic news. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love it. Yeah. I made it clear how the extraordinary extent to which I love it um, when we reviewed it last week or the week before. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. So I'm looking forward to watching episode three for sure. But I have more been watching. Um, I've been watching two shows. If James was here, he would be so <laughs> furious about that. I'm almost regretting the fact that I'm sharing it now rather than when he is here. I mean, first of all, just a Bake Off update. This week's episode was had had the um, the showpiece challenge was to make jelly art dessert cakes. And they were among the most extraordinary oh my creations, God. weren't they? I know you watched <laughs> yeah. it, Terry, oh. ever in the show. And <laughs> like there were these beautiful artworks within jelly on top of layers of mousse. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they were absolutely stunning. And, and there is something quite, I mean, I don't want to go too over the top, but there is something quite moving about when they create these spectacular things. And Paul Hollywood goes, that would be, you know, that would be like, if I go to, he named some French patisserie, you know, like you'd be, you'd be there, yeah. see it in the window, and you think that is a brilliant thing. So that was incredible. And then the really annoying one is I've been catching up on David Letterman's Netflix interview series. I've been meaning to watch that. Right, which has been going for three, this is the third season now. It arrived a few weeks ago. My next, my next guest needs no introduction. Is the, is the name of the series, mm. and the one, the the episodes I've watched, watched all the episodes, but the real standout one of this current season, which includes Robert Downey Jr., Dave Chappelle, Lizzo, is Kim Kardashian West. Wow, and really? yes, to see because you don't <laughs> see her interviewed. Properly. No, this mm. is a forty-five to 50 minute sit down interview talking about her life how she got where she is today her father 
you know, in his involvement in the OJ trial, uh, interest in subsequent interest in law, the interest in um, in in the trans issues that affect, that, that obviously have affected her family, and um, Kanye, who's sitting there in the audience, by the way, um, looking on, wow. kind of excruciated by the whole thing, which is really funny. Oh. He's literally like kind of scrunched up with a coat over oh. his head. <laughs> it's brilliant, but she's really she's incredibly engaging and funny and self-deprecating and letterman has this brilliant thing where he openly says look the reason why i'm interviewing you is because i just don't know anything about you and your world i can't you know he's like i can't i've never been able to come to terms particularly with that whole area of pop culture and she's like yeah yeah and then it's all about him and us kind of understanding it and he's great because he's never ever patronizing he's like i'm not one of those people who's going to say you know there's no talent to reality tv and he talks about her you know what is it what is the talent behind that whole world it's really really fascinating um i mean the others are great as well but i i was particularly impressed with the kim kardashian episode of david letterman's talk show on netflix and how honest was she because i always think she's so kind of well trained in the sense of what mm. to say what not to say um but did you get the sense that he got a real honest i think so or how much was it managed it didn't feel particularly managed yeah i mean there are there are little moments of it where you think oh that's a little bit of a, a like he goes shopping with her in a supermarket and stuff it, it's kind of all about mm. trying to get to see what she's really like and you know, there's moments where she starts crying about a particular story. I, I feel it. I think you got a, the real her. Yeah, absolutely. I really did. That sounds ace. Have you been watching either of you portray artist of the year? Oh, I'm a bit behind. I'm, I'm a few weeks behind. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, Chris Longridge was on it mm. um, this yes. week, Boyd, and yes. he was in the last series. I think he got through to the semis or the quarters. He did, yeah. And he's back again. There's quite a few people from previous seasons in it again, but it's really, really good this year. Um, really, really good this year. I too enjoyed Bake Off this week. And then I accidentally watched something last night called Saving Britain's Pubs with Tom Kerridge. Oh, yeah. And I just left it on because there was nothing else on. And it was really, really good. And it's a BBC Two thing. And he basically, A, he's teetotally sober and he goes around all the pubs in britain and basically tries to help them so it's a little bit like kitchen nightmares um with gordon ramsay apart from he's not um nasty but it goes to these three pubs um nationwide it's mainly set kind of towards the end of last year beginning of this year and these three pubs that are in trouble for varying different reasons and goes to try and help them out um but obviously what we're about to do in in the program is hit lockdown and hit um covid which is really fascinating. You get to know these lovely landlords and landladies. These pubs are really at the heart of the community. I was getting quite emotional watching it um, last night, and I'd never even heard of it. Um, so if you want a few more feelings in your life, I would recommend Saving Britain's Pubs. What channel is it on? BBC Two, isn't it? Yeah. Another classic for James that he's missing out on that one. Yeah. yeah. One. You know, yeah. James is, James yeah. is going to be really upset about yeah. everything he's missing out on this <laughs> week, is. but it was... Um, it's classic, classic, classic anti-dyer content. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anti-dyer content. Anti content. Right. That's where we are. Any more for any more on what we've been watching this week? No. No. Nope. Mm -hmm. Right. So let us go to the listener question. This week, and we had loads and loads and loads. So thank you to everybody um who submitted a question. I think we've got enough to keep us going for <laughs> the next decade or so. Um but <laughs> 
I went with a question from Will Kitch, who says, what show that you consider great has an episode that is unquestionably awful? I think actually an episode or a storyline. <laughs> so something that we love that just made some terrible decisions. And I'm going to start, and I talk about this pretty much every episode. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about Buffy. And I'm, going to, <laughs> and I'm going to talk specifically about the choice to have Spike attempt to rape Buffy, which I've talked about many times on this show, and that being one of the biggest story plot flaws that could have, and for many people, ruined Buffy was the belief that Spike, driven mad by lust and and love and not being able to control his feelings, attacks Buffy in the bathroom and tries to um, force himself on her, which mm. doesn't happen. But, you know, the, I've talked about this and why he would never do that, no matter what happened. And when once they crossed that line with him, it was really hard to get back on track with him and their relationship. So that's my opening gambit. <laughs> Don't make me say it again next week. Well, I was going to ask both of you whether either of you have got to the episode of The West Wing yet called Isaac and Ishmael, which was famously um, the show's response to 9-11 and is an absolute no. low point in the history of that show and is proof that Aaron Sorkin, brilliant genius as he is, <laughs> does have moments where he does excruciatingly embarrassing things and this was one of them and all, all there needs to be said is i think it was um the kind of first episode of season three season three yeah, yeah i haven't yeah, got there yet yeah. wait till you get there i mean it's worth I, I, you will be excruciated within the first few minutes because it's got this really no. weird like self-conscious mm. we are addressing 9-11 we the cast and makers of the west wing <laughs> are addressing this global thing as if it's really important what we have to say about it. And the, mm. some of the characters are in character. The actors talk about themselves as actors as well. So it's this weird mishmash. What? Yes. It is extraordinary to behold. <laughs> and <laughs> what, so hang on. Are they the, is it a normal episode of West Wing? They're, char they're uh, their characters or they're the actors? So they kind of, first of all, there's like an introduction where they explain that it's not a normal episode, that it is definitely a response to 9-11 as actors. And then they do go into character and it becomes Aww. ostensibly, but yeah, it is, it's painful. Um, and, yeah, and I don't think I've gotten to that yet, but no, I, well, that's I, something for you I both to look forward whisperings to. of it. <laughs> <laughs> the whisperings oh. are true. Yeah. And some people, some harsh people think the show never even recovered. I don't agree with that at all. I think season three is really good generally. Um, but harsh people do do think that. I would also add my, um, I the same way you always talk about Buffett, you always talk about um either Seinfeld or Frasier or co mm -hmm. enthusiasm. Uh, Frasier, the Frasier one that I've mentioned before as well, <laughs> is when Daphne, when the, when the actress who played Daphne got pregnant in real life, the storyline they came up with to deal with that <laughs> was to make Jane Leaves, the actress, do a storyline in which she gets fat. And she no. yes, and she compulsively eats in this episode, in this oh. whole season, and they have excruciatingly terrible responses to the fact that she's eating and becoming fat, and that she by this point she's got together with Niles, which is of course a whole bowl of wrong anyway, um, and it was really <laughs> bowl of wrong. Did you just <laughs> yeah, say? A whole bowl of wrong. <laughs> Add that um, to the signature Boyd phrases. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's painful. And then my final choice is, well, I've got actually two more choices. Roseanne, when she wins the lottery, ruined that program completely. Mm. Um, 
it completely oh. ruined the whole point of it, which is about this working class family, you know, this yeah. gritty comedy. You know, at that point, you did not see, very rarely did you see American working class families in, in primetime American <laughs> network television. And then she ruined it by winning hundred and something million dollars in the lottery <laughs> for a whole fucking season. And then that turned out to be like a dream or something. It was completely awful and wow. ridiculous. Yeah. And finally, my final choice is um, they're in 13 Reasons Why, which isn't a great show, but it is a show that I, I I think a lot of people got a lot out of. And I think it had a lot of good stuff um, for teenage viewers and a lot of kind of mm. dealt with things very interestingly. But in its third season, it had this storyline where one of the characters, um, Justin, uh, got HIV aids and dies he dies of aids spoiler alert and you know it just felt in in a world where now where you know basically pretty much the vast majority of people who get hiv live with it perfectly well mm. you know there's loads there's treatments you can you can live a t- totally normal life and to have a character and his character was previously like a sex worker on the streets and he caught it from intra- from drug use it just felt a really dated it felt like something out of the late 80s mm. and to have that in the middle of this there's a in fact it was just a climactic episode of season three was truly diabolical oh Aman, <laughs> that's a lot um somewhat predictably i'm going to talk about batman the animated series which is one of the the best animated series of all time it's something which i still enjoy watching today obviously it sort of started in the 90s and it's sort of one of the one of, one of the things that people say about it is that it appeals to a wide range of uh, a, a, a wide audience not just to children except for this one episode which does pander to children is called i've got batman in my basement um it, it, the, the problem with it is that it doesn't focus on batman it focuses on these two kids who help batman basically one one of the kids is, is an aspiring detective um he happens upon uh, a batman and penguin fight penguin knocks batman out with this gas uh, so Bat- Batman is immobilized for the bulk of the episode, but these kids, they bring Batman back to one of their houses. They set up traps for Penguin and his goons uh, who are hunting them down. Uh, inevitably, Penguin finds these kids. He's about to kill Batman. Batman all of a sudden wakes up and, no kidding, duels Penguin with a screwdriver. <laughs> this actually happens. <laughs> After he's defeated Penguin... The episode ends with him watching over the kids. Uh, Sherman, who had bullies, has now gained respect of his f- former bullies and is starting his own junior detective agency. It is so out of touch with the entire rest of the show. Like, I still, <laughs> I've watched all these episodes many times over, but I will never return to this one. It's even been disowned by Bruce Tim. He's one of the co-creators of the show who has correctly stated that the script and the story are terrible. And what's more, this episode in its sort of airing order was followed by Heart of Ice, which it redefined Mr. Freeze and is one of the most critically acclaimed episodes of the entire series. That came right mm. after this episode, which is everything that the rest of Batman, the, anim- the animated series, isn't. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> go watch the show, but avoid this episode. <laughs> do do we think that shows can ever kind of recover when something's so seismically bad? Yes, because I mean, in the case of you know Batman the animated series, for instance, that was a bad episode, but the quality and the consistent quality of the rest of the show mm. um, 
know, ensured that it still retained its audience. If you, it's, it's when you have a, a succession of bad stuff, whether it's a bad story time, a bad storyline which reoccurs, or multiple bad episodes in a row, when you start to get in danger. Um, but I think one aberration, people they, they, they can they can they can recover from that. I think if it's a jump the shark style, remember the jump the shark phrase came from when Fonz in Happy Days actually did jump over a mm. shark in water skiing incident. When you have an, a moment like that, like I think the um, I think the Roseanne winning the lottery is an example of that, where something so preposterous and out of kilter with the tone of a show, I think that can ruin it forever. I don't think Roseanne ever recovered from that. I think people just felt, oh, fuck it, you know, what, this is ridiculous. Um, mm. So I do think if it goes that far, if it becomes that preposterous, um, it will ruin. It can ruin shows, yeah. But one episode, that one episode of The West Wing, in no way does it totally <laughs> yeah. recover from that. That was an aberration for sure. And you, I think you can recover from an aberration. Yeah. I suppose it's how much it destroys the foundation, right? Because Roseanne is entirely about class. It's yeah. entirely about working class. And you take that out of it or you alter that permanently. And it, and that takes away the whole the whole thing. It's about it, it's USP. Like without yeah. it, what is what is because then that's just like any other sitcom you see on your tv screen right yeah um but i think there's also ways there's especially when it's kind of you're about two-thirds of the way through and sometimes they'll throw one in because you can tell they're either trying to kind of desperately bring in a new audience or give it some kind of new life or take it in a new direction um which sometimes works but you can also you can risk tanking the entire thing but it's a mom with yours that sounds just like one shit yeah standalone shit episode so i'm thinking about ali mcbeal right so ali mcbeal <laughs> they when they decided to give ali mcbeal a daughter spoiler but basically yeah. she'd had her eggs frozen and oops accidentally one got made into a human child um who wow. is now running around looking for you and is a teenager the whole thing about ali mcbeal was she was single she was always grappling with commitment with marriage with kids making those massive life choices that women have a certain small window to make the whole career thing and then they just chucked a fully grown teenage daughter in her direction which completely kind of threw out all of these things she'd been grappling with for pretty much the entire series answered all of those questions resolved it completely changed that character because i think they were trying to give the show a new lease life and then you end up with something entirely unlike the thing you've been watching for five years and there's no way back out of that then what are you going to do like give the daughter away again like that was quite an extreme example though to be fair that is an extreme example. I was thinking of that. There's the episode to, to your earlier point about can it recover. There was the episode of Stranger Things, wasn't there, in the first season when Eleven goes off to to meet her kind of siblings, her similarly powered, and that, Isn't that was in the terrible. second season. Um, oh, second season. You're right. Sorry, second season. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah. But that was a complete a one-off aberration that yeah. took entirely out of the whole setting, but did recover. I think it totally was fine because it was such a kind of its own thing. And some people like that episode. I mean, some some wrong people like that episode, but <laughs> it was, um, Including it me, was easy to recover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was easy to recover from. Okay, uh, right. Should we move to news? Um, and I'm going to kick us off with the exciting news that One Division has a date which i think is uh january 15th correct i want to say is that right yeah so this has been um much talked about if you go online people are desperate to know when this starts there was uh rumors for a while that it was going to be december and then that it was going to be the new year but yeah it's going to be disney plus 
on the 15th. Um, I am still really excited for this. I think it's so conceptually ambitious. So many questions, obviously, about what is this reality, if it is reality. Um, And I think it just looks, from what we've seen, the pictures we've seen, the trailer, that kind of I love Lucy um, thing it's doing with different decades and what that might look like in the 60s and 70s as well as the 50s look we've seen. Um, I think this is really exciting and really from a story perspective is really them continuing to push it I mean we're not going to see a Marvel movie on the big screen um still for some time um but when you see you know look at what they're doing with Mandalorian every week um in the Star Wars universe and this just feels like it'll give the Marvel wider cinematic universe a whole new lease of life. Are you guys excited? I'm more intrigued than excited at this point. Yeah. Um, because just going through sort of the other Marvel Disney Plus shows that are on their slate, uh, this one wasn't high up. Like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the one which I'm really dying to see. Yeah. But as you mentioned, we haven't had any Marvel MCU content this year. This is the first time that's happened since 2009. And I, for one, am gagging for MCU content. You could make a Howard the Duck movie at this point. I'd be like, <laughs> hook it to my veins. This this film was better than when Captain America lifted me on there. Five stars, I'm on Woman Empire magazine. That is what my review would be like right now. I, I need Marvel content in my life. So come on with it, WandaVision. Drop all at once, drop once at a time. Just, just, just come. I need to see it. I need to see it now. Yeah, and we do because I feel like we know we especially Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think we've kind of got in our heads. We know what that's going to be, um, roughly yeah. speaking. But this just feels like a whole, a whole new thing, and I think that's quite exciting because I think there's um, not as many rules to to be um, weighed down by. There aren't as many restrictions when it comes to storytelling. This could be as nuts as they actually want to make it, um, and who's going to be watching it what kind of audience are they actually going after with this i think it's um i think it's going to be really interesting to see how this one mm. plays out and i think it's it's interesting as the first marvel that this was their choice as the first marvel tv I don't, outing. I don't think it was initially their choice but this is the one which finished filming and therefore yeah no given that it's going but on. i know it's which i know it switched around but you know that they they would only still make that decision if it worked from a storytelling perspective, right? Because everything's still interconnected. That's true. Um, so it'll be I really did, interesting to see. I did find it interesting. I think it got revealed that they filmed the first episode in front of a live audience. Yes, which mm. is very interesting. Um, because um, it uses um, it, it's using sitcom old, old school sitcom right. tropes, Technique. isn't it? And yeah, techniques. Yeah. yeah. Which that's I think I I agree I'm completely fascinated I'm much more interested in this than any of any other Marvel wow. um, yeah, Disney Plus. This for me is the one because you know as you say we kind of know you you know roughly what to expect from the others I think but this is a total this feels like a total step into another world another genre you mm. know and kind of mixing it properly mixing it up um, and I think it's really interesting and just from the images we've seen so far and it just feels like a genuinely bold 
thing to do. And I think it's like when you think about how much money there is swirling around, um, you know, Disney Plus is already has, has uh, that, that was the other bit of news this week, wasn't it? Like 89 million or something um, subscribers. I think it was 73. Oh, okay. I don't know why I made that yeah. figure up. Then, um, but <laughs> I just think for a very powerful, all consuming sector of um, television and film to be doing, they need to be doing this kind of thing for me, WandaVision. I, I'm very, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm here for it. Definitely. Yeah, and I had read that. I'd read that they'd like bust in a studio audience exactly like they would have done for something like um, I Love Lucy. And I was like, how did you get all those people to keep their mouths shut? Like, can you imagine? They yeah. must have been like nailed onto those NDAs, like in fear of their lives. Yeah. NDAs yeah, and money are powerful motivators. Aren't they just? <laughs> <laughs> what else has happened in news? So, James Gunn's Peacemaker series has added. Orange, Orange is the New Black's Danielle Brooks to its mm. cast. The Peacemaker series, we should mention, is a spin-off series focused on John Cena's Peacemaker from The Suicide Squad, as yet to be released. Uh, all eight episodes are going to be written by James Gunn himself, and he's, he's, uh, he's planning to direct a whole bunch of them himself as well. Uh, so this is exciting news. I, I think it'll be either more exciting or less exciting once we actually see the Suicide Squad and get a good look at John Cena's character. But I'm yeah. happy for Danielle Brooks. I didn't watch Orange is the New Black, but I did see her in Clemency, uh, which is a film that got released in the UK uh, earlier this year, stars Alfred Woodard and just one of, I think, the best performances of the year. The fact that she wasn't nominated for an Oscar last year is an utter travesty. But that's a conversation one at a time. Um, but uh, Daniel Brooks, she really has a chop. She has like maybe one scene in that film, but it's an incredible scene. Um, and just just off the back of that, I'm excited to see what she does in this series. We should also mention that Peacemaker has also added Chris Conrad, Jennifer Holland, and T1000 himself, Robert Patrick, huh. to its cast as well. Well, and she is. I did watch her in um, Orange is the New, New Black, and she is a force, mm. isn't she, Boy D? Because I know yeah. you watched she's it. Phenomenal, yeah. All as well. She's a she's a remarkable actor. So that is exciting. Yeah. What else? Um, Friends reunion news. Did you see the Friends reunion news? So the long, I did long, see. long. Is this long... the old reunion? This is the old reunion <laughs> that was due to happen in March of this year, and then along came a little uh, virus to ruin the whole thing. Mm -hmm. What are you and talking so... about? Everything's fine. What, what are you talking about, boy? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I, I, well, I haven't seen any that's virus. The, that's the excuse they, they've used. Spoiler. <laughs> Um, but Matthew Perry revealed this week that um, it will happen and that and March next year, so a year on, basically, from the, <laughs> when it was originally planned to be filmed, it will happen, hopefully, in March of 2021. And the, part of the reason, now, I have to declare here that huge, I'm, I'm going to do some major name dropping in the news section, by the way, I warn you now, but my friend, my yeah. good friend Ben Winston is directing the Friends Reunion special. Um, who is Ooh. yeah? Who is the producer awesome. of um, James Corden's chat show in America? Yeah. And he's he's directing this. And um, part of the reason why I think they have they're waiting. You might say, why don't they just do it? You know, in in COVID um, in COVID safe conditions, they want to have a studio audience there with the six cast members and the creators all together in one studio to to make it vibrant and you know and to have them all talking together. So I think that's why they're going to wait until um, uh, hopefully they they don't have to. They can have some kind of audience there for it, but I think it's going to be really good. And um, even though it's not, remember when it was first announced, everyone was like, "Oh, they're doing a new episode of Friends." They're not doing a new episode of Friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a scripted episode, but it will be full of incredible stuff. 
I guarantee you. March, I mean, March still feels um, ambitious to yeah. me. Yeah. Like a lot of stuff's been moved to um, March and April and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, it'll all be fine by then. I know, I know. But, will it, but I presume also if they tested everybody, if we're in a place of having, you know, kind of instant tests, they could test everybody, right? And yeah. do it that way. Yeah, I think I think they can. I mean, they're already, there's, 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 you know, there's handfuls of shows um, certainly in this country being made with, with studio audiences, you know, or certainly yeah. they were until lockdown two mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's doable. I think it, I think it is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and has he, um, has he directed other, I know obviously he does yeah. the late show, but has he directed other Yeah. He's directed loads of stuff. Like he, this. Yeah. He's directed various kind of, um, like variety specials in America mm. and he directed, um, like, uh, David Beckham documentaries and stuff like that. So he's a, he's a pretty experienced, um, docu- document director as well as being documentarian. <laughs> documentarian, I was going to say, and I just I'd like to pull out that pompous word. <laughs> it's a documentarian for God's sake. Yeah. I don't even think that's is that a condition? Like Yeah. It's an illness documentarian. <laughs> uh in other reuni- reunion news, uh Will Smith just announced a premiere date for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion, and that will be next week on HBO wow. Max. Um so yeah, I will um I'm not sure how I'm gonna watch that actually, because that's US. Uh, but uh I, that's a show which I loved watching with the family growing up. Um, and it's a shame, obviously, that James Avery is no longer with us because his mm-hmm. Uncle Phil is iconic, but that should still be worth watching. So is this the more dramatic take they've been talking no, about? No, no, yeah, that's, it, that, no? That, that, that's, that's a separate TV show. This is a reunion uh, special. Uh, oh, every year. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. the Friends, like the Friends one. one, which is also yeah. HBO Max. Mm. HBO Max is the home of old school sitcom reunions. <laughs> Apparently so. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I was uh, again. I don't know how exactly uh, UK people can watch that, but I would like to. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is the eternal question, though. Did you see <laughs> that controversial Netflix series Emily in Paris? Which, um, <sighs> yes, I found out. Lots of people found out this week. You're supposed to pronounce it. Emily in Paris. <laughs> Emily in <laughs> Paris. Was this the trolling? So we, I saw this on Twitter. The yeah. Netflix Twitter account yeah. said you should um, pronounce. How did they phrase it? You should put. Boy, do you do well, it? I, I, I'm it like they're said, supposed to rhyme. Like it's supposed to rhyme. <laughs> Emily yeah. and Paris. I'm, do you know what? I'm gonna. I'm Until gonna pull up the. Uh, tweet, yeah. I'm gonna um, pull up the actual tweet because the wording of it. The was, wording um, was funny. Yeah. Um, was so this, hilarious. And I was like, are they trolling? Are they trolling <laughs> us? Is this real? I think they are trolling us. <laughs> okay, so yeah. so I'm gonna read the tweet. The tweet yesterday from the Netflix at Netflix, the main account. <laughs> friendly reminder. Emily in Paris is supposed to be pronounced with a French accent. So Emily and Paris rhyme. You'll notice from that sentence that Emily and Paris don't rhyme. (laughs) So I presume Emma Paris... Paris. Paris. Yes. Emily. Yes. Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. Kill me. Emily. Emily in Paris. Yeah. Kill me. I'm going to kill myself and then all of you. Yeah. But the the, the bigger news is Emily in Paris has been renewed for a second season. The much derided (laughs) show, which I I said on this podcast wasn't as bad as everyone said. I mean, it is pretty much as bad as everyone said. Um, But the, the hate watch show of the year has been recommissioned no surprise there i also this is my second name drop um is that i interviewed um ann mensa who is the uk 
vice president of Netflix, who is in charge of all the UK scripted shows, comedy and drama this week for a kind of um, online conference thing. And we, I asked her about the whole Netflix cancelling shows after one or two seasons thing. And she gave quite a spirited, she basically made the point that it feels like Netflix is cancelling more shows than everyone else because they have so many shows to begin with. So she said, actually, if you look at it statistically, they, they cancel about the same percentage of their shows as every other channel, every other network. It's just that, you know, they get a lot of publicity for it if they cancel a big show because they have so many shows. And in the same week, they also renewed the Umbrella Academy for a third season. Yes. Which was, again, you know, that's the kind of show you might think they might cancel, but apparently it's been a big hit and we'll be, we'll be back. Cancelling a show for publicity is just like... Oh, no, not for you... publicity, sorry. I, no, no, she didn't mean... Like, they get more publicity, bad publicity, because people yeah. are now focused on the whole idea of Netflix cancelling stuff too early. That's, that was the point. Okay, okay. Because, yeah. like, you were new, hate watch show, Emily in Paris, and then you cancel Glow, and you're like... I'm like, what you yeah. doing, dude? I know. Um, yeah. But have you watched it, Amon? Have you I, watched I, I, I Emily not... in Paris? <laughs> I have not watched Emily in Paris because <laughs> I paid attention to Twitter and uh, <laughs> and uh, the negative word on it. And I was like, I, I'm watching the West Wing instead. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think bad Santa, you're right. But every time I have to say, every time I went on to Netflix, it was up there in the kind of top yeah. ten or top five in the country at the moment. Do so I'd be really interested to see the actual kind of whatever they're classing as a view these days, but see uh, how many people actually yeah. watched it because I think it's probably remarkably high. Oh, yeah. Right? Huge, huge hit. Yeah. yeah, whatever, whatever yeah. way you slice it. Yeah. There's a Netflix show which is tempting me to sort of put the West Wing on pause for a bit, which is The Queen's Gambit, which I haven't started watching oh, yeah. yet. But, yes. but, but I, I'm a big chess fan. When, this is a little trivia for you. When oh. I was growing up, I, I, I used to go to all the chess tournaments and compete and all that sort of stuff and all, 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 with all the time clocks and everything. So just on that level, I want to I wanna watch it. Oh, but my I'm God. Also a big um, fan. You have to watch it. You have to fucking... Um, I mean, I okay. don't know my I, chess. I, I, I played chess when I was about eight, but it is fab fantastic. <laughs> so the okay, fact that you I'll actually ask... know chess, you have to watch yeah. it. It is, it is... And it gets increasingly good, by the way. Like, you know, first, it eases you in, and the longer it goes on, the better it gets. It is a fantastic show. Yeah. Okay. I'll ask you, Boyd, and bear in mind, James Dyer will listen to this. You're saying that I should stop watching The West Wing <laughs> just temporarily. Yeah, I think so. I just feel, yeah, I think it's more urgent to watch the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't started watching it, but I'm just, I'm quite taken aback by um, Amon's secret chess pass. I know. I know. Like, yeah. Who saw that coming? No. Yeah. Incredible. No, I was like, multi I, 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 I was the, uh, the dude at the chess club and everything and at schools. And it's been a while since I've, actually played physically i used to play online a whole bunch too um mm. on uh msn games they had this thing where you could it was all timed and you, they actually sort of followed your rating in a really good way and i was getting really really good at it um but yeah i haven't actually played physically for a while so i just think on 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 that level um i'm sure that i'll get some enjoyment from it have you watched have you been watching the undoing on with um, nicole kidman and um hugh grant on no. sky oh uh, there's some really funny because in practically every scene where nicole kidman meets with her dad played by donald southern they play chess together and it's quite funny oh. i found it quite funny how they kind of have these big like tete-a-tetes and they're playing chess it's really like unsubtle you know it's really unsubtle imagery where he's checkmating her um it's quite funny. <laughs> awesome 
Um, did you see that there may be a um, Island of Dr. Moreau yes. TV series, yes. um, which has got writer Zach Stentz working on the TV adaptation? I think if we all remember the film, it may suddenly seem like the world's most terrible <laughs> idea. Uh, I'm, I'm not waiting for this one with bated breath, I have to say. No, but I do think there is a, there is a, um, there is a the sense that a terrible, terrible th- film adaptation of a story can actually make it easier to make something obviously that's going to be better isn't it in, in, in you know in your version in a new version because that film was so famously diabolical and a disastrous <laughs> wasn't that with that with marlon brando and val kilmer and yeah a whole absolutely misguided so the, mess. So what you're saying is the base is so low <laughs> yeah yeah that only way is up exactly exactly it's like a lot of the best films and and you know are adapted from mediocre books a mediocre book mm. will often make a better film than um, than a really brilliant one, and a lot of really brilliant books end up being really terrible films because they try they try and stay too close to it. So I think you know I know Doctor Moreau. Mm. It's you know yeah freaky animal people on an island <laughs> could work. Yeah, and you've got to assume right that that CG and effects yeah. have come on a long exactly. way, and that actually they could do something at least convincing visually. Yeah. Um, this time around. <laughs> exactly. Is exactly. Um, <laughs> here's some interesting news. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, he's trying to get a spy series uh, going on at Netflix, which is interesting. Uh, it's described as a global spy adventure with a father and daughter at the center of the story. Uh, Monica Barbaro, who will next be seen as Phoenix in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, she, is mm. a, she is attached to play Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter in the show so this would be if it goes to series the first regular tv role of arnie's career uh so yeah we we shall see watch this space right any more for any more before we move on to reviews i think that's enough isn't it yeah yeah that's enough that's enough, that's enough bloody news <laughs> right first up this week on reviews we have the good lord bird a historical miniseries based on a book of the same name by james mcbride it was created and exec produced by mark richard and ethan hawke who also stars in it and produced for blumhouse television by jason bloom himself it's told from the point of view of an enslaved boy henry shackleford played by joshua caleb johnson as he ends up on the road with a gang of of abolitionist soldiers in the 1850s. Boydie, did you want to join their gang, their gang, their gang? Did you want to join their gang, their gang? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I wanted to join their gang, no. Um, good to have a Gary Glitter reference, though. Bold. I know. Um, <laughs> not desperately, deeply inappropriate. <laughs> I mean, if Joker can do it. Where can you drop it? If Joker can do it, then we can on the boat. Yeah, where can you drop it? When is a good point when to drop uh, a Gary Glitter yeah, reference? Yeah, I'm, I'm yet question. to learn. When, when, um, when you said Joker, Boydy, I just got a vision in my brain of Terry dancing down the steps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that would be amazing. If Terry could reenact oh my God. that scene from Joker. I think we'd all appreciate that. I'd hang um, up for it, to be honest. Yeah, do it. It'd be like Christmas Christmas special. Um, now, I this is fascinating, um, The Good Lord Bird. So as you say, it's kind of co-created by Ethan Hawke. Um, and we produced it, co-wrote the first episode, stars in it. And on while, and I think for, to start with, at least, he is like so um, full throttle in this. This is one of those performances. It's like, I feel like Ethan Hawke has been waiting years to get this kind of juicy, 
he can it's like the snot pouring off of his face, dribble, spit. <laughs> you know, it's that one of those performances. And that's just in the first scene where we see him and they brilliantly kind of take quite a long time to show him in full face kind of dribbling away and spitting away. And he's so funny and entertaining in this that it kind of slightly threatens to um, to imbalance the whole thing. And yeah, it's a re- it is an intriguing, fascinating story, um, kind of based largely on truth, although the central character, this fictional enslaved boy played by Joshua Caleb Johnson, who's in the, is in the sitcom Blackish in America, and who's brilliant, by the way, um, it's mm. all told through his eyes and literally narrated by him in a very kind of amusing, slightly hopeful, key kind of comical way a lot you know this 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 show is funny i think the it's it's main tonal kind of um uh uh, the main kind of admirable tone or surprising thing about it is is how funny it is all the way through and so even though it's dealing with slavery and it's dealing with genuine people um incidents in history and you meet um classic historical figures like frederick Douglass, played by david d david diggs um and uh harriet tubman and all these things it's essentially like a really entertaining, funny kind of um, odyssey in which they're traveling around this kind of weird bunch of anti-slavery abolitionist people are traveling around, having a high old time and having various adventures. And it's also kind of, I think, addresses issues of race and identity in a very interesting way. So, for example, um, the character the, the character of the boy is mistaken. Ethan Hawke's character mistakes the boy for a girl and gives her a, gives him a dress which he then wears and is then thinks he's a girl for the rest of the duration of the whole story while everyone else can basically see that he's a boy but just kind of mm. that the way it deals with those things of pa- the idea of passing and of passing for a man for a woman and all of that is really interesting and um i thought it was fascinating and i really enjoyed it much more than I expected I would. I don't know why I thought I wouldn't enjoy it. I think with these things, sometimes it can be irritating, that tone, that kind of very heightened comedic tone with kind of incessant narration, etc. But I, I did enjoy it. I would just add one quick clarification. Every black person knows that Onion is a boy. Every white person right. does not. Yes, 100%. Um, and yes. I think that is an important uh, distinction to make. But yeah, I approached this with a little trepidation um, because, and especially in today's world, watching any media about slavery is a bit like, mm, might, do I really sort of want to put myself through this? But you are completely correct. It is surprisingly funny. It's got zingers like, you know, <laughs> there's one moment early on in the first episode where a white person who's, uh, they're, try- they're trying to figure out if they should hang him. And this guy who's about to be hanged is like, are you going to hang me or not? I've got chores, which is just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's like a running joke among uh, John Brown's people about how they can't stand his long sermons before meals and scripture. And, and that's quite funny as well. Um, I think the thing which impressed me most about this is how self-aware it is um, mm. from the get-go. Like the one, the, one of the things which would come up with uh, this show is John Brown being, you know, really the original white savior. They have, mm. they have that in literally the first words ever spoken on this show. It goes like this. Some black folks loved him and they think trouble needed to be stirred. Some black folks hated him for thinking that he was some sort of white savior. That's the first bit of dialogue in the show. These guys are really clued in to the dangers and the pitfalls of, of what they need to avoid, needed to avoid. So I like that. Um, I also was very impressed by its scope and execution, the murk, 
the dirt, the sweat of their mm. surroundings really comes through the screen. And you're completely right about Ethan Hawke. This guy is one of the most versatile actors working today. I would not be surprised if he screamed himself hoarse on this on this show because he's screaming a lot. Um, yeah. But he's, but he's very, very entertaining. And just that mix, which you wouldn't think would work off, off the face of it, but the mix of uh, the performances and the, the, the levity, which is very well judged, I think, uh, and in, in addition to all the self, self-awareness self of the show, really impressed me. Yeah, and I think it, it, it was really interesting in terms of allies and what makes allyship. And, and as you say, Amon, kind of the work it does about well, saviours and all of that. It was just a really interesting take and had a real resonance um, for now. But Ethan Hawke, I mean... Look, he is probably only been better, I think, in First Reformed. And actually, there is mm. uh, not not <laughs> the, a small amount of crossover yep. in terms of those <laughs> roles. But he is, yeah, he's spitting, he's sweating, he's bleeding. It's, he acts with, like, every inch of his skin and every single bone in his body. He is absolutely extraordinary. And I love the tonal weirdness, um, you know, the way they are with Onion, um, mm. as they call him, um, like the, just some of the dialogue between them, um, some of the kind of little offhand quips, the reference, I just thought it's so brilliantly judged um the darkness there's it's incredibly violent but it's also incredibly funny some bits are just really hard to watch because they are um quite traumatic or quite violent but then it'll flip in the next second um and be incredibly funny um in quite offhand weirdly so i i was saying i wasn't sure that i was gonna like this and i absolutely loved it i just thought it had a verve and an energy and a boldness um yeah i loved it i loved 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 it um i'm gonna keep going with this one for sure <laughs> the, the, only, the only other thing i'd add is that i like that it is timely but it doesn't, it doesn't shove the time timeliness down our throats but it's mm. there if you mm. want to join the dots and the thing which really uh sort of resonated with me is a line um i'm not sure what episode this is in but um John Brown, at one point he says, I've been called crazy before, but I know there'll be no friendship with the slave-holding man until he is soundly beaten, holds himself accountable, and asks for forgiveness. And given some of the rhetoric which we've seen over the past couple of weeks, that is a lesson which many in US politics would be wise to heed. Um, because <laughs> the people who are trying to reach over the aisle, this isn't a simple policy differential. This is people on the other side they don't care about you. They mean you harm mm. until they fix that and within themselves and reach out and ask for forgiveness themselves. Nothing is going to change. Um, so stuff like that, that there's more timely lines and, and timely lessons to take, but it doesn't shove, uh, shove it down your throats. And I always appreciate media, which handles uh, contemporary sort of timeliness in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, and that is The Good Lord Bird, which is on Sky Atlantic and Now TV, 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Next up, we have the second in Steve McQueen's small act series. This film takes place over the course of one drama-filled night at a West London house party. Amon, did lovers rock? Rock your world. <laughs> it did. It rocked my world and then some. It's so good. Uh, 
just to tee, just to tee it up a little bit more, we follow Amara Amara J. St. Auburn's Martha as she sneaks out of her family home to go to a party in 19, 1980s West London. And during the course of the night, she meets Franklin, played by Michael Ward, and the connection they form may last longer than the night, if you know what I mean. Now, I've been thinking about how to review this film because I could talk about the amazing chemistry between Amara J. St. Auburn, a newcomer who I'm expecting big things off off the back of this, and Michael Ward, who of course first caught my eye with Blue Story last year, and he recently won the BAFTA Rising Star Award. Uh, one of the great things about Small Axe, by the way, is how it's cast it's, it's cast veterans as well as up and comers, which is something that Steve McLean was very excited about. I could talk about the loving way it explores black culture, including but not limited to the early scenes of party preparation, when you can almost smell the goat curry stew that the women are cooking through the screen. And let me tell you, it smells good, people. It smells <laughs> good. I could talk about how surprising and wonderful it is that Steve McQueen, of all people, who has made many films in which his characters suffer horribly, has made a film which has about as potent a level of black joy as I've seen in anything, while skillfully reminding us still of the harsh world that exists outside of the bubble of black happiness that is the film. But really, people, my review of Lover's Rock can be summed up like this. Now, I've got no time to wow. play your silly games. I'm not going to go to the high notes because I can't hit those notes. But wow, <laughs> that sequence is incredible. It's one of the best sequences I've seen in anything this year. You want it to last forever. You hope it lasts forever. It's just incredible. Um, and by the way, the thing which makes me laugh about that sequence is there's a man who is singing along, but when it gets to the high notes, you don't hear him at all because he can't reach it. And that just makes me laugh. And by the way, <laughs> when I spoke to Steve McQueen for initially the Empire magazine, he told me that that voice is Dennis Bovell, who is the writer of the song. Um, didn't make it into the mag, but it's a nice bit of trivia. But anyway, I mm. love this. I think it's incredible. And Steve McQueen, to make five films and release them in this way in today's world, it's an incredible flex. And just that alone should not be discounted. I think that alone is incredible. Boyding. I mean, can I just say, we don't get that kind of performance from James Dyer, do we? We don't get we James Dyer singing, <laughs> singing Lover's Rock songs live on the podcast. We, so. get, we get, you know, a, a, a shit yeah. song that nobody yeah, recognises right. on acoustic <laughs> guitar, guitar yeah. if we're lucky. Yeah, so a major step up there. I Yeah, this is incredible. <laughs> I think, I think I've, you know, this is the the the... the the one of the whole series, the state of small acts. We've had the debate about what well, they filmed, so they made whatever. <laughs> this 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 um, collection of made for television films. This is the one that I think is the most surprising and bold and creatively dazzling. If you like, I mean, they're all great, don't, you know. I mean, and they're but. This is the this is so the, again one of the amazing things about this whole conception of this project is that it is Steve McQueen making sure they're going to be on BBC One on Sunday night. You know, this where you usually mm -hmm. get, let's face it, you know, often quite fusty old period dramas or whatever. People are going to watch this and they're going to have, as, as Amon says, this incredible epic sequence of people <laughs> grooving to a lover's rock song for an extended period, reaching a kind of euphoric mass 
of joy and they're just singing it again and again and again the refrain from the song and that but that's just i mean that is obviously the extraordinary sequence that no one who ever watches this um this this film will ever forget but there are loads of those kind of incredibly bold creative choices that mark steve mcqueen as a director uh, uh, from from most other people and it's just incredible to see this on tv on prime time bbc one of a sunday night and then you've got I, i thought i also think like it feels like for me this feels like uh, there's so many things about this that he taps into that feel uh, brilliantly observed just about the whole idea of this group of people going to a party in a ha- in this big house you know like there's the character Clifton played by Cado William Sterling who's in sex education who's brilliant this kind of angry young guy who's angry about you know, seemingly angry about everything. And he's dancing around like a maniac and bumping into everyone. And everyone's like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> oh, you know, and like, we've all seen that kind of person in this context. I felt like it's got so many kind of ideas that you're like, yeah, we've seen those people in this situation, if a party in a big house where there's a music. And there are loads of those moments. There's a, you know, there's, there's, there's a very disturbing, but I thought brilliantly dramatized moment of sexual assault, which I think is, is, just fascinating dealt with and you just thought you know it, he 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 somehow managed to him and his co-writer um caution newland somehow managed to pack so much into this 70 minutes um so many ideas so many characters and at the center of it is as amon says again again just these two people finding each other in the on this one night and it's told pretty much most of it in real time and you barely even notice that that it just plays out over an hour in these people's lives mostly and it's incredibly beautiful to watch and uh, and incredibly thought-provoking and fascinating yeah it's so sensual and soulful and just so evocative like you know when you were talking about the smell you could you can feel the sweat in the room you can smell what's happening you can feel the bass kind of thundering in your legs like it's so evocative of every sense and every kind of touch and taste and the way they managed to capture that you know we should um mention Shabir Kirchner who's the cinematographer Mm. who just did such a beautiful beautiful job and I think what's really interesting is something we've talked about before Ramon and, and and I remember when we talked about uh, you writing for Empire, and when we talked about doing something specifically on black film and TV for Empire, and you said to me how important it was for black joy to be celebrated alongside challenges and for, for all of those things to be able to be recognised. And it's something that's really stuck with me. And what Steve McQueen has done in this with small acts across the all five is exactly that, which is when you think about this after Mangrove and the kind of breadth of of experience he's reflecting here, the true reality um, of black culture historically in this country. But these these moments and evenings of joy, and as you say, there is a there's a um there's obviously moments of racism present and sexual assault, but it doesn't overwhelm the entire film it's it's dealt with and then you kind of move on and it's this this sense of there isn't kind of a traditional three-act structure where there's this and then there's this and there's a resolution it's more freewheeling but more organic and and real than that you're spending an evening with these people in this amazing party and you feel like you've been invited in and you're kind of watching from the corner and and it just welcomes you into this incredible 
world and i have to say like i i could have taken more than 70 minutes i was really sad to mm. say goodbye to these mm. people um when it ended but i just thought it was it was just so intimate and warm and gorgeous and just a delight and and the best 70 minutes i've, I've spent with a, a group of people on screen in some time yeah yeah 100 percent so lovers rock is on sunday the 22nd bbc one at nine o'clock. Finally, we have Luca Guadagnino's TV debut about a 14 year old boy played by Jack Dylan Grazer who moves from New York to a military base in Italy with his two mothers, Sarah, played by Chloe Sevigny, and Maggie, played by Alice Braga, who are both in the US Army. Now, Boydie, mm. was this calling your name oh very Get good it. yeah Get i understood that efforts yeah <laughs> amazing amazing p.s luca guadagnino made call me by your name which he won an academy you're award not, for i thought for a moment you also made the tv show i thought for a moment you're going to sing the chris hewitt call me by your name song which is um i can't this is brilliant i'm not going to sing it would be snow <laughs> i now yeah. now then we are who we are. This right. Let me make say it from the start. This is going to divide audiences, I think, mm-hmm. because it has at the centre um, Jack Dylan Grazer's phrase of this fourteen-year-old, and he is an irritating, bratty, self-absorbed <laughs> little git in many ways. Um, he there are scenes where he in the family home, um, he's clearly been dragged away from their New York home by these two mothers. There are scenes where he's violent towards his mum, to Chloe Savini's character. He pulls her hair um, in another and he slaps her and she kind of just deals with it and just accepts and moves on. And you're like, who is this horrendous little monster? And why am I watching a eight hour TV series about him? But I was fine with it. And um, in our, in, of course, in all of our traditional discussions with James um, Dyer about the Bell End test, and you know, are there you know too many Bell Ends in all these shows? There is a gigantic young bratty Bell End at the centre of this show. But I think the reason for me it doesn't really matter is because I loved the general tone and feel and freewheeling quality of this show, and I think. It's a little bit what you might expect from the man who gave us Call Me By Your Name in that it's got a kind of lush summary. You know, it's set on a coastal town in Italy, um, not far from Venice, and a lot of the scenes are set on the beach and they go, they're, they're, they're swimming naked in the sea. There's a lot of casual nudity, a lot of male casual nudity, a lot of willies dangling around. And it's all like, I think, designed to show us this free and easy vibe that, the, that teenagers have when they kind of can have with each other and when they're bouncing off each other and just trying to and have no real you know like responsibilities and they're exploring themselves exploring their sexuality gender and all of that and i thought i loved the way um he captured that as a director i thought i think there's a real like fluid quality to it it kind of glides almost the camera sometimes from one sequence to the next without a cut and it kind of dropping in on conversations and scenes with families and with with the kids etc i just i just really really bought into the vibe of it and i don't think there's any other word to use but people will find so i i i I, the fact that there's this bratty guy in the middle it didn't annoy me and and he and the, the kind of focal relationship of the whole thing is him forming this friendship with this 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 girl catlin played by jordan christine simon who is 
is fantastic as a soulful. He can almost see like among this group of friends. Uh, it's a kind of you know quite. A, it's kind of a mixed group of very, kind of mostly teenagers, but there are some young soldiers on the base as well who are also part of this friendship group. But she is feels like immediately he, he is drawn to her. Fraser is drawn to her, and I think it's because of she's got a kind of soulful quality to her. She doesn't. She kind of she's dealing with a, a, another bratty boyfriend who's a bit of a. A, a git and she kind of trying to extract herself from that relationship she's exploring her own gender sometimes she kind of um calls herself harper and she goes to visit a kind of bar where she feels like she's trying to meet girls and meet other girls and women and that's dealt with really interestingly in a really kind of i don't know like a non um cliched really original i thought c- convincing authentic way and that this relationship that slowly forms between fraser and her is really interesting at first they they don't really like each other they find each other a bit annoying but as as the series goes on i've watched half i've watched four episodes of the eight they become closer and closer and they're kind of exploring each other's um ambiguity and identity and he is attracted to men and women at the same time it's all that it just feels very to me it feels a very pertinent portrayal of a generation of young people who for whom there is a kind of freedom and also maybe something scary about that freedom at the same time as well as delving into their relationship with their parents and their parents are often um, oppressive figures like um, her dad is a kind of weirdly, weirdly, this militaristic figure who's resentful of the fact that Chloe Savini is coming and taking his job, basically. There's a lot of anger, particularly among the parents, which I thought was fascinating. I just really, really liked the tone of it, as I say. And um, the episode four, for example, the freedom I think that, that Luca Guadagnino has given himself with this series. Episode four is basically just one long party, a bit like Lovers Rock, funnily enough. And and in some ways, it has as, as as euphoric moments as Lovers Rock. There are some beautiful little slow motion things where he's just observing these people having fun and having kind of you know having a good time and just that that kind of hedonistic vibe. There's a lot of similarities in that episode between between these two and 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 not not quite reaching the the brilliance of Lovers Rock, but I I really loved it. So I am fully on board with We Are Who We Are. I think I'm a little bit on the other side of the divide on this one um, because, yeah, that scene, especially that you mentioned where the kid slaps the mum, really rubbed you the wrong way just on that level, but it also doesn't really track for me in that you got this mother who's hard as nails, you know, just become a general. Would she take that amount of shit from her own son? I don't think so. That, that that didn't quite make sense to me. It also felt like I I liked some of the vibe, but and I'll get to why in a second, but it did feel like to me that it was meandering a bit too much. Um, and I got a good sense of the mood of the show, but not of the actual characters just yet. And I'm like an, an episode and a half in, and that that's where I stand. I hope that changes, but that's where I stand on it. I will say this. I think the use of music is great because um, it really highlights Fraser's sense of displacement. Um, he, he's got his own sort of iPod and even when they're doing sort of stand and salute for his mum, he's still sort of, you know, listening to his music and that sort of aids with the freedom that the character feels when it's combined with the visuals, which you can never fault Guadagnino for. I think the visuals are incredible. But for me, again, it just feels like it's meandering a little bit too much right now. And yeah, I the the central character is it's not something it's not someone that i've taken to yet um so i hope that something changes that makes me more excited to follow his story but right now i'm with james and that he has failed the bell end test 
and he must <laughs> suffer the consequences. No, but um, but yeah, that's why I stand. <laughs> I could not get on with this. So, Call Me by Your Name was one of my favorite films of that year. I loved his approach visually. I loved how he told that story. If you remember, like the first hour of Call Me by Your Name pretty much nothing happens like it takes ages for that first kiss and then that acceleration in their relationship and this is what i think the crux of the issue is which is within a film that's fine because he spent so long just on these as you call it boy these freewheeling kind of set pieces which showed him kind of you know exploring the countryside and and kind of exploring himself and and a lot of it without actually much dialogue um a lot of it just following him as he kind of if it, as he ambled around and there's a lot of that going on here there's a whole section of the first episode where he's just walking around this um military base that is now his home and you follow him and you're kind of um uh, seeing everything for the first time as he is the problem is that within call me by your name you had that and then you were kind of rewarded in a way by this um by actually the piece of drama their their relationship and how that developed and the conflict between them um and it 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 you almost had it was a reward, really, for kind of sticking with it that long. And he spent all that time establishing the tone and all of that. For me, that doesn't work in a TV show because the first episode, and I've only seen the first episode, the first episode, you don't ever get to that moment of reward. You don't ever get to that moment of storytelling payoff. Um, and so all you have is these scenes with this kid who is just, I mean, fails every element. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, honestly, I'm like, I can't remember when I last found a character on TV this annoying. He is a brat. That's the only way really to describe him. His relationship with his mother is so disturbing that apart from the violence, which is over something incredibly minor when he hits, like slaps her in the face, mm -hmm. um, and then she kind of cuddles him and there's clearly kind of boundary, physical boundary issues as well. And then there's a, a moment where she cuts her finger and he, so he just immediately puts the finger in her mouth and starts sucking the blood. And there's these kind of weird boundaries that are being crossed and pushed against um but then kind of dropped and not picked back up again and maybe that comes back in in future episodes but to a month's point i didn't feel that was authentic so there's this kind of cliche i suppose of her being a commander at work and and unsure in the home but it, it just didn't really track with her character so far and i just found it really hard to be engaged with him because he's just a teenager who's defensive and awkward and arrogant and entitled, like desperately entitled, as you'd expect, I suppose, an American military kid to be. Um, but I found it really hard to find any point of engagement with him. I agree on um, Jordan Christine Simon. I think she is a real superstar and has a, a complete magnetism on screen, but that isn't enough for me. I did think, um, I thought the way it engaged with gender and sexuality was really interesting and that felt more authentic to me kind of um the fluidity around it the representation of of queer culture that all felt very authentic to how i think kids of of his age see that kind of stuff and that felt really real to me but i was thinking about the this kind of 8 hour 8 episode setup and 
I don't know how he's going to do the storytelling to pace it across those eight episodes because I just think the episodes have to stand in and of themselves as well. And I didn't feel like this one episode gave me enough um, enough storytelling, enough plot development, enough character development that I think a standalone episode of TV needs. And as I say, if this had been a film, maybe that would have been slightly different and, and there'd be a, a, a different sense of storytelling momentum and, and all of that. But within this, I just didn't find it satisfying, didn't get enough from the plot, didn't get enough from the characterizations. And by the end, I was like, I can't, I can't watch another, I can't watch another. Um, no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's uh, I, I I I take that all of that on board, and, I, and it, it, yeah, I, well, I think it is. I just I think I think there are enough of the characters that that are really interesting, and there's enough that it's discussing and showing and talking about for me. That so episode two, for example, retells pretty much the whole of episode one, but from her point of view, from um, Caitlin's point of view, which is which is. It, which is really interesting and it is really well done. Um, so structurally, the series is kind of it is really it it is a kind of an eight, eight episode hangout movie. Really, mm. you know, you are just mm. hanging out with those with these people, and it's absolutely going to be personal preference whether you can bear that, which you clearly both of you can barely bear. I <laughs> I just I just found myself. Um, I, do you know what I think? There's one cat. Corey Knight plays Craig, um, who is the older brother of um, her annoying little boyfriend and he is so brilliant he's so kind of his attitude to life is so beautiful he's a soldier but he's kind of the one who kind of he kind of stands over all of these younger characters all these teenagers and tries to resolve their issues and tries to bring them together and tries to calm them down actually there's a lot of like just calm down you know and he's such a beautiful character so brilliantly done um that he actually was kind of one of the main reasons i really really kept stayed with it um i mean i did enjoy it anyway but he's phenomenal and as it goes through the party revolves around him and the episode party revolves around him and what's happening to him so there was just enough for it for me to to, to stick with it and i more than stick with it i, I embrace it fully i just didn't i've I, you know i still i just don't know if it was made with tv in mind if you see what i mean i, yeah. I couldn't see the the thought process that had gone into the way the episode was structured and whether um, the medium had really been thought about um, in terms of it. And maybe it's hard to judge without having seen more and without having seen the whole thing. And maybe once you've seen all eight, the way that that story has been packaged and told suddenly makes sense. But I still, you know, I still always think that first episode has to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of bringing you into the world and bringing you into those characters. And it did, rem it reminded me of the first hour of, of um, Call Me By Your Name, mm. but then you don't get the rest of it to kind of follow up. And that's what I was struggling with. So it may be a different conversation once, I, actually, I was going to say once I've seen the whole thing. I'm not no, going to watch the whole thing. I think um, it's deliberate. No. I think it's absolutely deliberate, non-traditional. He's not following the rules. He's absolutely not. Yeah, I think mm. he just, I think he sees the whole thing is I'm going to, you know, the free Freedom to do tell the story how the fuck he wants, and not not and that either will work for you or not. And I think I can see, yeah, I think yeah. on a, on a basic level, it's, it's 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 the narrative is incredibly loose. And um, mm. but I those weird <laughs> moments that you took, uh, those are the kind of things I like. Yeah. I like the weirdness of that oh, okay. freaky, violent. Yeah. I feel, yeah, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I, There's more moments like that all the way through. There's just little moments you're like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And for me, I, that's why yeah. I, I really like those that, that 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 strangeness. I think that's a way you can follow the rules 
while still obeying rule number one, which is with the first episode, <laughs> give me a reason to keep watching. And yeah. this failed yeah. at that. So yeah, and I do, and I think those I I don't mind weird bits of telly, but when they're just kind of done and dropped like that, I I I always like it to be like serving serving the big story or serving the kind of character in some way. Um, and they're really disturbing, actually. They're not. Then it's not even that it's the most shocking thing you'll see on screen. For example, I suppose it's the flippancy in which they're used and then kind of left that I, I it really kind of. Uh, surprise me i suppose and i suppose you can if you wanted to boyd you could watch the entire thing in one go and treat it mm. more like you know an extending rolling narrative because it is going to all be dropped on um bbc3 yeah. iplayer right yeah. on sunday yeah. and then airing episodically on a tuesday at ten forty-five, um as they've done with a few things recently i think normal people was done that way and yeah. um i may destroy you um actually i may so destroy you famously made, wasn't was it I, I may destroy was 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 strictly weekly oh, yeah. Episodically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. episodically yeah but you're right about this um, I, I watched the i watched the first four episodes pretty much in one go i did and i, I and i and i did and i absolutely did not regret it i, I, I as a, so i had that experience i I was like, I am going to watch all the. I've gone set aside the time, and and it, and it just yeah. worked for me. Yeah. Okay, so pick of the week, people. I've got no time <laughs> to play. Yeah. Silly yeah. games. <laughs> it's my I pick second, on I second that emotion. <laughs> I second that emotion. Love is rock. Yeah, I mean, Love is rock is a is a masterpiece, isn't it? Really, I think. Yeah. We're saying Love is rock. We're aren't saying we? Love is rock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're saying Love is rock. Okie dokie, time for a banshee. <laughs> so much singing. Come on, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So much singing. <laughs> so my banshee for this week is Timeless, uh, which is a show which I really enjoyed back when it was airing. It only aired for one season, and then it had like a couple of episodes at the end to sort of tie everything off when once it was cancelled. Um, but it's about a group of time travellers, one of whom is a historian, who follow an evil organization through time and make sure history is preserved. But then it gradually evolves to something a little bit more complex and interesting. Uh, and I just love how not only do you find out a lot of really cool stuff about history, for instance, this is the show that taught me that the Lone Ranger was actually black. And they actually <laughs> sort of go into that and show that and have an episode on that, which is awesome. But the way in which History is recreated, is really great, and they get a number of details really spot on. And then in addition to all of that, the chemistry between the main cast is fantastic. Uh, so it's on Netflix now, I think, and it's well worth checking out. Nice one. That sounds, um, that sounds nice. How have I not heard of that? It's really good. Uh, Abigail Spencer is the, is the lead, uh, and she's a uh, actor who I always have a lot of time for. Uh, she guested on a few episodes of Suits, which is a show I used to watch religiously. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it got uh, so it, end, it ended a couple of years ago, uh, but it's great. But you got Abigail Spencer. You got Matt Lanter, uh, who obviously voiced Anakin in the Clone Wars, among other things. Um, and he was also in the episode of The Mandalorian last season. Um, you got Malcolm Barrett. Uh, you got Patterson Joseph, Sakina Jaffrey, Claudio Dumi, uh, Claudio Dumi, who is recently who was recently on uh, this season of The Boys, which is great. I really enjoyed it. And al also Goran Viznich. Apologies if I'm butchering that name. But it's a really, really good cast. And the chemistry between the main three, who are Abigail, Spencer, Matt Lanter, and Malcolm Barrett, is fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, 
seek it out. You will not regret it. Hold on. It's two seasons. Oh. How did I get that one? Oh, okay. I get it. The way it's divided on Wikipedia anyway, you got, got the first season was 16 episodes. The second season was 10 episodes. And the finale, yeah, they had like two episodes uh, to sort of tie everything up. Because it, a crazy thing happened when it actually it got cancelled, and then the fan backlash to it was so severe that the network were actually persuaded into bringing it back uh, for a couple of episodes to have a finale uh, for the show. The the fan following for the show when it was airing was huge, and rightfully so. Wow, that sounds good. I might yeah. actually watch that. Yay! <laughs> My work here oh, is yeah. done. I'm picking Merlin. Inspired by um, friend of the podcast, Mark Walker, on Twitter, who is Mark and Patch, who's suggested a few um, <laughs> banshees that we've done before. Um, I thought he said, what do I get for a hat trick? And so he mentioned, um, he actually mentioned Dollhouse, Time Treks, Round the Twist, and Merlin, which I picked. And the reason, <laughs> and Merlin was a um, one of the best in all the things they've tried to put on Saturday tea time, if you like, Saturday early evening on BBC One in the Doctor Who, in the, what used to be the Doctor Who slot before I moved to Sundays. Um, and Merlin was the, by far the most successful, I think. Um, it ran for five seasons and 65 episodes. And it starred Colin Morgan and Bradley James and Anthony Head off of Buffy and Richard Wilson and a really good cast. Um, it was wittily written it was um for a show on obviously kind of bbc budget it looked great um and it just kind of it was like merlin the teen years um or the young adult years and had a really nice tone to it produced by judy gardner who worked on doctor who of course um and uh, it was great so yeah i've picked merlin and it's all on netflix i have some trivia for you in regards to auntie stuart head because one of his daughters emily head uh she's actually a classmate of mine from school Wow. Um, I wow. went to the wow. same school as uh, Kingswood uh, back in the day. Uh, so, that is yeah. good. That's exciting. <laughs> uh, Roy Cropper from Coronation Street, his daughter went to my university. <laughs> wow. So, you know, beat that one, guys. Beat that one. Roy Cropper is brilliant. Roy is rolling. That is great. Fame. That's great. <laughs> okay. I am going to Banshee Collateral. Um, which I once talked about when I was watching it, but I've never banshed it um, before anybody says I did and probably <laughs> produces a spreadsheet that almost certainly shows that I did. Um, so Collateral was unbelievably a British BBC Two drama starring Carrie Mulligan, written by David Hare. And this is one of those things that I kind of stumbled upon on iPlayer Um it seemed too good to be true, as in it being a huge kind of, you know, award-winning uh, proper actor in essentially what looked like a, a traditional drama serial. And it's bloody brilliant. Um, so she is Kip Glassby, which is just an amazing name, <laughs> a uh, detective, and she's investigating um, the murder of a pizza delivery guy. Um, and obviously underneath it all is a big conspiracy. Um, and she is, I have to say, I would never have had Carrie Mulligan down as kind of a bit of a hard-nosed detective. Um, she's really, really good in this. Billy Piper is in it, is the wife of um a mp i think who somehow got um dragged into the whole debacle around the murder it's really 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 good and i think don't want to do an am on but i think it was there was one 
just one season because I think yeah. it was four it was episodes. Four episodes yeah. It was a four-parter, right? Yeah. yeah, it was a four-parter. And it kind of, I was always, it doesn't really, without spoiling it for anybody who wants to watch it, there isn't necessarily a traditional resolution at the end, which kind of always held out hope that there may be, um, this may be resurrected, but it never has been. But it's, this is very good if you haven't seen it and it is on iPlayer right now. I was trying to remember why this show sounded so familiar the reason why it sounds so familiar to me is because this is one of the very first things I was asked to write about for Empire ever. Because, oh. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think it was like the second issue of Pilot. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I reviewed this show all the way back in the day, like in 2018. Um, or was, 20, was, that, was, that, was that late 2017 or early? Tw- early, early yeah, 2018. Yeah, yeah. 2018, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. And yeah, Kelly Mulligan is a force. She that woman can do anything. Um, so can't she? So, She's so good in this. Yeah, yeah. It was it was basically the forerunner of this year's Roadkill, which which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it is so much better than Roadkill. It is better, isn't it? Yeah, it is better. Yeah, mm. it's kind of the acceptable face of David Hare four part BBC One thrillers. Yeah, um, because Roadkill also has a rather unsatisfying ending, has to be said, and an annoying jazzy soundtrack, which I don't think um, uh, Collateral had, thankfully. Collateral just had no, a more interesting. No, no, no. I think Collateral just had more interesting characters, didn't it? Yeah, just more kind of. Yeah, and mm. she's she's really yeah, good. She's, great, she's yeah. really good. And Billy Piper, you know, this is this is probably we've had her this year in I Hate Susan, yeah. right? And everyone's like, oh yeah, Billy Billy Piper's a really good actor. And I remember when when this aired, and everyone was like. Who knew Billy Piper could actually mm. act? And it was like, no, she's always actually been able mm-hmm. to act, but she's really good in this. I remember, if I remember rightly, a chain smoking yeah. slightly. Yeah, right. What's what's the word? I don't want to be offensive and say, but she's basically a hot mess. Even though oh, I've banned the phrase "hot amazing. mess" on this podcast, yeah. she is a hot mess. Yeah. She is a hot mess. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you for listening. That is it this week our james less episode <laughs> which may have had less james but had loads more singing <laughs> so i think you've done well out of this scenario now i'm gonna go home and read some itunes reviews um if you would like to add to those itunes reviews we would love to have five stars off you um so please trot over now and give us those five stars and say nice things about us even james Next week, we will be back with the bellend himself. Less singing, more bellends. It's the Pilot TV podcast. Pilot out. <laughs>